Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a great hour coming up. Um, looking forward to having Dr. Everett Piper join me in just a minute. And Dr. Carl Ellis will be joining me as well this hour. So I'm looking forward to that. If you missed any of the first hour, I had uh, Scott Sauls on. He's a pastor out of Nashville. He's the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church. And he's really written a great book. I, I like this book. It's called The Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. It's a pretty timely book. And it's, uh, as I was opening BibleGateway.com today, the verse of the day was Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We do have to check our language and how we talk to people and make sure that we are being graceful and gentle and kind. You know, the Ninth Commandment says, Thou shalt not lie. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow's show. I've invited onto the program Mark McClish. He's uh, written a number of books. Uh, one is called I Know You Are Lying. Another one is called Don't Be Deceived. And another one is called Ten, ways, Ten Easy Ways to Spot a Liar. He has worked as a, in federal law for 26 years. He started in law enforcement with the Secret Service and then went on uh, to work with the U.S. Marshals for 26 years and did a lot of statement analysis and helping people come to the truth. It is interesting because our words do betray us. Um, People will always uh, share information they didn't intend to share because we can't help it. And Mark says that order is important and we're going to have a fascinating hour with him tomorrow. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. I've actually been a fan. I've read a couple of his books and I find the whole uh, concept very interesting. I work with a lot of people in recovery from drugs and alcohol, and I have been conned many times, and I don't think I listened well. I think, uh, you know, you can you have to learn how to listen well. That's the whole point of uh, Mark's talk is how to listen well. Well, you're going to enjoy that. I'm looking forward to that. And now um, I'm so glad when I get a chance to speak to Dr. Everett Piper. He is a former president of uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University and is also now a columnist for the Washington Times and author of Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. Everett, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Yes, it's so nice to uh, have you on, and it's really curious as to your views of what's gone on in the last uh, week. You know, it's interesting. I've written on this, and I also, by the way, I'm going to do a little plug right now. I hope you don't mind. Oh, no, go right ahead. my own show. I've got my own show. It's a podcast, and it's carried on a local radio station, and the Washington Times is going to pick it up, and it's called The Rebellion, and it plays off of Peter Kreef's quote, in times of universal defeat, truth is the only rebellion left. So if people are interested in following me, they can pick it up on uh, SoundCloud and whatnot. But that is my plug. That's awesome. Forgive the shameless, <laughs> forgive the shameless self-promotion there. Um, I've been commenting on this. And, you know, Vody Bauckham is a pastor who has an excellent sermon and excellent commentary on this. Vody, V-O-D-D-I-E, Bauckham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M. He comments on this, and he says this, race is an unbiblical concept. 
He says, race does not exist in the Bible. There is nothing in the Bible that divides humanity, that hyphenates humanity by different races. He says the only division that we find in Scripture where God defines the human being is that of male and female. And interestingly enough, that's a mixture of the plural and the singular because he says, let us make man, let us, plural, make man singular in our plural image singular, male and female, he created them. So it's an interesting mixture of the plural and the singular singular in terms of God's use of language, and I think it's a reflection of the Trinity, the singularity of the Trinity and the beauty and the magic of the plurality of three and one, and God actually describes humanity the same way, male and female. That aside, Bauckham says this, other than male and female, and reference to Jews and Gentiles, the Bible is silent on race. And Bauckham goes on and says this, even when it comes to Jew and Gentile, it's not a genetic issue, it's a behavioral distinction, because Abraham became a Jew, if you will, through obedience and through decision, and not because of genetics and not because of the color of his skin. Bauckham goes on and says, even though I've got more melanin than a lot of you, and you all are just going to have to learn how to enjoy living with less of it than more. (laughs) (laughs) He then then goes on to say this. That means God loves both of us just the same, and it has nothing to do with race. He says we're all part of one race. It's Adam's race. It's the human race. And any pastor or any Christian who's preaching and teaching a different message is guilty of enabling people to hyphenate humanity, divide what God has already defined as a singular unit. And when you cut the baby in half, it dies. Do not separate things that should be united. We are one race, the human race, Adam's race, and there's nothing in the Bible that suggests otherwise. And Everett, I would uh, agree with that, and I bet uh, Pastor Bauckham has some pushback on that because whenever you say that there's no racism or racism really is not a biblical idea, there's going to be there's going to be pushback. Well, sure, and it's because of the narrative of culture. And frankly, I think the church should be ashamed itself, ashamed of itself for perpetuating division rather than unity. Mm-hmm. Why? Why should we be talking about dividing the human race? and causing division and distinction between people when God himself does not do that. We should never presuppose to define things differently than what God, than how God defines them. And God is very clear that the original sin is the sin of uh, knowledge of good and evil. In other words, trying to define things as good and evil, right and wrong, up and down, male and female, and maybe even racially in manners that God did not define and therefore we're wresting control away from God of the knowledge that he has and he alone has, and we're pretending that we are God's in and of ourselves and we can do a better job. Mm-hmm. That's sin, and the church should not be promoting that. Yeah, Everett, I know you like smart thinking, and you're not going to necessarily get it from me, so let me quote uh, Daryl Harrison, who's a black theologian uh, from Princeton, who's going to be on the program on Friday. He said, many people say they want to end racism. I understand what they mean by that, but racism isn't like a carton of milk with an expiration date. Biblically, ethnic prejudice is not an ism. It is hate, period. And the only way to end hatred is by repenting of that sin and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. The church should be, the church should be preaching repentance, not revolution, 
The church should be, should be preaching virtue, not vengeance. The, the church should be preaching the gospel, the evangel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that we are all one in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in all, one body of Christ. There is no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no division, there's only unity in the body. Any message that is less than that is a message that is compromising the very Word of God. And you're going to get anger, and you're going to get violent anytime you start turning to a lie rather than truth. Truth sets us free because of the unity of veritas, the univerities. That's why it's called a university, by the way, by the way and not a diversity. Mm-hmm. Unity brings us together, and division, diversity, is going to separate us. Now, Black Lives Matter, for example, it is causing great anger and division. And you know what? Black Lives Matter, actually on their website, says uh, under what we believe, they say this. We believe in dismantling the patriarchal society. We believe in clearing the nuclear family. Black Lives Matter is dumbing down the definition of the human being to the LGBTQ agenda, and they're actually insulting blacks by suggesting that you can redefine humanity by race rather than unifying humanity as the Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. Everett, when you look at the way culturally God has been uh, really kicked, kicked to the curb the last 20 years, is there any surprise that there is this much uh, chaos and unrest? No. In fact, I'll go back to the original sin. When Again, what was the original sin? Uh, we were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan says, well, you know, my God told you that. He knows that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become as God. In other words, you won't need God any longer to define things. You can define everything, good and evil, black and white, right and wrong, up and down, male and female, and you can even redefine humanity because you're as God. I've quoted on your show before G.K. Chesterton's good quote on when you get rid of the big, uh, uh, the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, you get thousands and thousands of little laws. Well, let me paraphrase that for this discussion. When you get rid of God, you don't get liberty. You get thousands and thousands of little gods that rush in to fill the vacuum. Because if you kill God, we don't get an atheistic society. We get a polytheistic society where we've got millions of little gods, you and me and everybody else, dancing ourselves to be the definers of everything, even defining humanity down, dumbing down the definition of humanity to nothing but a hyphenated division rather than a unified Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. Everett, on your new uh, podcast, The Rebellion, and I think you can head to WashingtonTimes.com to, to hear, uh, I think you have three episodes posted. Does that sound about right? Uh, I got up, I've got 17 now. Oh, 17. Whoa, okay. Boy, I, I'm a little bit behind in my podcasting. All right, you talk about uh, riots are the result of uh, lousy schools. Say more about that. Well, where does all this stuff start? I get this all the time. You know, how do we get in this mess? Why in the world do we have all this chaos in our streets and this anger and this violence and this vengeance and this selfishness and cries for safe spaces and all the nonsense that we have? Uh, why the political division? And, and why the sin? Basically, why do we have so much sin? Well, when you teach luxury in your schools, you're going to get lectures. In other words, garbage in, garbage out. And when you teach selfishness, self-actualization, selfishness, self-focus, when you teach people that they deserve their pound of flesh, when you teach people division rather than unity, where does this all start? It starts in our schools. Our schools are responsible. It's my industry's fault that we are where we are, because as 
Uh, Richard Weaver told us in 1948, ideas have consequences. As the Apostle Paul tells us in the the Epistle of Romans, when you give yourself over to worshiping the created rather than the creator, you're giving over to a reprobate mind. You can't think your way out of a paper bag. And that's why culture is lost right now. It's because our our schools are teaching nonsense, lousy ideas, lousy outcomes. Yeah, that is um, a very troubling consequence of all that. Well, ideas have consequences. Teach good ideas, get good results. Teach bad ideas, you get bad bad results. It's common sense. Mm -hmm. And the way for us to recover culture is for parents to start taking the responsibility to make sure that they train up their children in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart. And sending them off to these propaganda mills called our public schools and colleges and universities is not training the children up in the way they should go. I know people are going to get mad at me, but it's my industry, and I have the right to critique my own. And I'm telling you, the ivory tower and the academy is as guilty as any part of our society and our culture at sowing the seeds of this lunacy and this dysfunction and this chaos we're now experiencing. Mm -hmm. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest. He's former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. So he is an educator, and he knows exactly what he's talking about, a columnist for The Washington Times and author of Not a Daycare. We're going to take a little break. When we come, we'll be right back with more with Dr. Everett Piper. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Everett Piper as my guest. You know him as the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and he's a columnist for the Washington Times. We're chatting with him about uh, not only his new podcast episodes, which are on the WashingtonTimes.com. It's got 17 episodes up already, but uh, we're just reflecting on what's going on in the week. Uh, Everett, do you think that there's going to be a calming down, and do you think there will be uh, um, these rioting and looting will come to an end here in the next couple of days? Ah, uh, boy. That's a great question. I wish I could uh, be optimistic and say yes. I, I think that, well, we know the lesson of history. It was George Santayana that said that those who don't learn the lessons of the past are doomed to repeat them. So what's the lesson of the past tell us? What's the lesson of history? That the only solution to human vice, human, human anger, the home, only solution to um, selfishness, to sin, is repentance. It's the reformation of the heart. It's not demanding a pound of flesh. It's confession, repentance, and revival. And aside from those things, I think you're going to see more and more anger, and you're going to see more and more vice in the streets. If you look at the nature of, uh, let's look at history. Let's look at three things. The Bolshevik Revolution, the Cultural Revolution, and the French Revolution. The lesson of all three of those revolutions is selfishness is going to end with blood in the streets. You get rid of God, and you get the guillotine. It was Diderot that said, we will be satisfied with nothing until the last king is strangled by the entrails of the last priest. And then it was Dickens that said, liberty, fraternity, um, liberty, fraternity, I forget the, the third one, and then he says, or death. And then he summarizes and said, and the final is the easiest to have. What he was saying is the French Revolution's motto is going to end in death because it's the easiest one for us to do as sinful human beings. 
So that sounds like a downer, but we also know the lesson of history, and that is the church wins. And that as the church does its job and focuses on the gospel, the evangel, the good news of confession and repentance and redemption and being reborn in Christ, unified as one body, that is the only thing that's the salt that heals a, uh, that, uh, heals a rotting world, and it's the light that causes us to be able to see. So, yes, the gospel is the solution. Yes, the church wins. But the lesson of history says unless the church starts doing its job, it's going to get ugly. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting uh, ever to watch some of the debate about science where our um, Dr. Fauci was, for example, saying at the very early onset of uh, coronavirus that masks, masks were not necessary and this thing is not a threat to the United States. And then uh, don't worry about wearing masks. They might make you sicker. And now all of a sudden everyone needs to wear a mask. And, you know, if we start talking about science and it seems to be a moving target. And then when it comes to uh, like candidate Joe Biden, nice segue, Bill, by the way, um, he uh, denies the simple fact that life begins at conception. Well, he denies a lot of things. And, uh, <laughs> he denies <laughs> he, he, Hey, Bert, mark my words. If Joe Biden gets elected, he will be declared unfit to serve by Congress, a Democratic Congress, within months of the election, and the vice president will end up being our president. Okay. You're not voting for Biden. You're voting for whoever he chooses as his VP, because okay. Joe Biden is having difficulty right now, and it's obvious. And I don't mean to be pick on the poor guy. He's suffering dementia, it's clear, and this is not a vote for him, it's a vote for his running mate. But his party is a party of science deniers. Right. It, is a, it is a genetic fact, it's a biological fact, that the human being begins at conception. The DNA is set, the genetics are set, nothing changes, it's just maturation from that point forward. His party denies that. They claim that they can define the human being and that you can kill any human being just because it hasn't moved through the birth canal yet. So you can kill it 30 seconds before it's born, but for some reason, magically, you can't kill it 30 seconds after it's born. Well, what's changed? Nothing. Genetics has not changed. Biology hasn't changed. Arms and legs and lungs and eyes and ears and toes and fingers haven't changed. All that changed is location. It moved a few inches, but yet it's not a human 30 seconds before it goes through this canal, and it is afterwards. Who made that decision? They did. They're denying science. And Biden also, back to this issue of race, he's the one that just last week said, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. Well, that's convenient. Now he's dumbing down the definition of what it means to be a person of color to ideology and the fact that you have to agree with him. That is ideological fascism. It's bigotry, and it denies the very reality of a human being that's defined by God and not by Biden and his party. I could go on and on. It's a party of science deniers. Yeah, I also think, too, that he he backpedaled on that pretty fast, um, and he did get out and try to make some adjustment to that statement, but it wasn't really an apology of any kind. No, he I mean, backpedal all he wanted. He said it. Right. Um, <laughs> and he said it for a reason. And in fact, his party basically believes that. In fact, there was a poll out, and this is the good news in the poll, is that 75% of black Americans disagreed with Biden. But 25% agreed with him when he said, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. Ideology defines your very humanity. 
that is not the message of Christ. That's not the message of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, well, Everett, I so appreciate uh, you taking the time to uh, come on. I know you've got a busy schedule today. Um, your part of the world is Oklahoma, isn't it? It is. I live You're... in northeastern Oklahoma. Yeah. And if, has, has your community or your, the closest city seen any of this uh, demonstrating or, or rioting? Uh, Tulsa has seen some of it, and it uh, it may get worse. I know that some of the business owners are boarding up their businesses in areas of Tulsa for fear of the riots that have been uh, foretold. We'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. I would love, uh, just given the volatility of everything that's going on, if you would just close this out in a just a short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, keep us focused on the unity of the body of Christ. There is no Jew. There is no Greek. We are one in Christ. And help the church proclaim that message from the hilltops. Give us courage and confidence in the spine to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Everett Piper's been my guest. Head over to thewashingtontimes.com. You can see his new podcast. Um, So, Everett, have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for doing the show. All right, blessings. You bet. That was Dr. Everett Piper. He's a regular guest. I always enjoy Everett. Coming up... uh, After the break, we're going to have Dr. Carl Ellis, Jr. with us. He is a professor of theology and culture at um, RTS, and he has got his his Ph.D. from Oxford Graduate School, and he started his ministry as a senior campus minister with the Tom Skinner Associates in New York from 1979 to 1989. And he and his wife, Karen, have got a brilliant ministry, and we're going to learn all kinds of things uh, from Dr. Ellis. He was talking about uh, racism on the telephone with me today, and he's saying something even more scary is anarchy. And he's just written a blog about that, which I believe is going to be on his website uh, early this evening, which you'll be able to access um, tonight at ellisperspectives.com. That's E-L-L-I-S perspectives.com. Anyway, coming up next, Dr. Carl Ellis Jr. will be my guest. And uh, if you want to registered to win one of our He Reads Truth Study Bibles, head over to MyFaithRadio.com and you can uh, sign up to get, uh, we're giving away one a week. And these are awesome Bibles, so you can uh, just head to MyFaithRadio.com. And we're getting really close to the end of our fiscal year that ends in June. So we're just a little shy of our full budget. We'd love for you to participate if you could. I know so, so many have, and you've been so generous. And over the top, really. We've been overwhelmed with your generosity and kindness. But if you have not made um, a contribution or a gift of any kind, and and it is in your capacity to do so, we'd love to hear from you. And you can go to MyFaithRadio.com to give safely and securely there. We'll take a little break and be right back with Dr. Carl Ellis. at UNWSP.
been a while since I've had a chance to talk to Dr. Carl Ellis, Jr. He's the Provost Professor of Theology and Culture at Reformed Theological Seminary. And he and his wife, uh, Karen, have ellisperspectives.com. He's our guest with me now. Hello, Carl. Hey, how you doing? I'm wonderful. And, you know, I'm realizing now I'm in a slightly later time slot in the afternoon, which means my listeners in the Eastern time zone are probably having dinner. So you just finished up your dinner, didn't you? Yeah, I just did. You just swallowed my last bit. <laughs> well, what, what, was for, what was for dinner tonight? Because I'm starving right now. Oh, I had a steak and some salad oh. and some other stuff. Yeah, so, uh, something I can cook real quick. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, so yeah. I, I know you've got a, new, a blog coming up, and I don't know when it's going to be posted, but um, I did it find... Should... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go on. Go on. I'm just so curious to uh, let our listeners hear about what could possibly be coming more dangerous than racism in the future. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, okay, now first of all, before I say what is more dangerous, let me say that racism is an evil. I hate it. Uh, every every bad thing that can be said about it is, is true, okay? Mm-hmm. But there is a another uh, danger looming that's, that's threatening us all, and that's anarchism. Anarchy. Uh, anarchy is the lack of government. It's when everybody just does whatever they want to do. And in a situation like that, uh, human uh, depravity has free reign. There's no restraints. And uh, the whole situation becomes very brutal, very violent. And uh, that's that's what the anarchists are trying to do. They're trying to remove all authority, all government. And uh, it's a, a chaotic situation, quickly goes to nihilism and and the rest is awful. And so what's happening is that we've got these uh, people who have every right to demonstrate and to march and to do whatever and to protest. There's a there's a sacred right to protest, but the anarchists have figured out a way to hijack those and then turn them into something that they they want. You know, they they want to just destroy everything. And of course, this is this is the thing that's so uh, concerning. So yes, I am. Angry. I'm angry when I uh, when I saw um, the killing of uh, George. Um, um, you know, when I saw the killing there. You yeah, know, George uh, Floyd. Uh, yeah, Floyd. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, it's kind of like you know, as, as an African American, I have too many memories. Well, I'm old enough to remember, for example, the killing of Emmett Till. Okay, I'll never forget. Uh, in Jet Magazine, they had his picture in his coffin. It was it was horrifying. Things like that, things that I've seen, things that I've experienced. Um, it's kind of like a wound that's beginning to heal, and the scab gets there. And then when something like this happens, it's like somebody tears the scab off. Now, somebody who hasn't had those kind of experience, that doesn't have those kind of memories, they don't have the scab. So when you scratch a person without a scab, that's one thing. But if you scratch a person with a scab, that's a whole other thing. And for a lot of us African Americans, uh, you know, the, the killing of Mr. Floyd was was like like scratching that that scab off, you know, because we what we had uh, uh, Brianna, uh, you know, the, the, the killing of uh, Brianna, who was her name um, earlier, and then we had uh, uh, you know Ahmad uh, 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 Albury, you mm-hmm. know, and, and things like that, and and you run into those things. Now I realize that in some cases. 
some of these killings did not have the moral clarity that it needed, you know. Uh, but in this case, I think uh, George Floyd was had absolute moral clarity. And, uh, but of course, you know, I think uh, I, I read something online that said like 78% of all Americans felt that uh, the, the policeman who had his knee on his neck should have been arrested. I mean, there there's one of those cases where you have an overwhelming majority of Americans agreeing. But of course, what happens is that the anarchists come along and then they muddy the waters because they don't, they don't, they cannot tolerate that kind of unanimity on something uh, about justice. They don't want justice. They just want to tear down the existing order. That's just their thing. Of course, they have a naive belief, and, you know, they think, I guess some of them think that human beings are basically good. So if you just take away all government all, and all constraint and all restraint, uh, people will just, just you know, uh, like that Beatles song, uh, Imagine, you know, yeah. everybody thinks that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all nice and hunky-dory. But what they don't understand is that you remove that and then something uh, something bad uh, comes in. It's like, it's like the, whole, the whole movement to defund the police. Now, now do, uh, do the police, uh, are there issues with the police? Of course there are. I mean, there's a lot of room for improvement in the way we do policing and all that. And I really uh, feel strongly about that. But then on the other hand, uh, let's say we remove the police, then what's going to happen? The vacuum will be filled by criminals, and things will be even worse. I mean, you know, the, the killings and the and the all, the maimings and all these kind of things, drive-bys, all those kind of things will happen. And uh, so, I would much rather, let's say, you know, uh, help to uh, bring reform to things uh, rather than just 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 destroy destroy the whole thing. You see what I'm saying? I do. It's I do. like yes, like the it's like the lesser of the evils, but it's it's uh, anarchism is really really uh, the, it's as a matter of fact anarchism. I think I would describe it as it's kind of like uh, you know like some people say Black Lives Matter. Okay, yes, I agree that Black Lives Matter. That's a truth that I agree with 100 percent. Now I don't agree with the organization that calls itself by that name in a lot of ways, but I agree with the con- concept Black Lives Matter. Okay, so if I say that, some some people will say, well, blue lives matter. Well, okay, all right, that's granted, because I'm a Christian. I realize that police are also image bearers of God, and of course they matter, you know. Um, so then, they're, they're, then they're, today there, there seems to be like this conflict between black lives matter and blue lives matter, when all along you have anarchy looming in the background accomplishing its, its agenda, and if they get what they want, then black lives and blue lives will not matter, and everybody will be under the gun. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, so it's it's um, it's not a, an ideal situation. I realize this, and I and I also recognize that there are problems between the police and a lot of folks in the black community. And I would I would attribute that to there is a problem, but I would not necessarily say that it is 100% racism. I say racism is, is, plays, a, plays a part in it. But I think more, uh, more than likely, it's more of a cultural uh, clash. Uh, there are, when I say cultural, I don't mean like between black culture and white culture. I mean like between, there's two cultural uh, groupings that I've recognized 
and I just call them the achievers and the non-achievers. And basically the difference between those two is that the achievers live by a value system that generally leads to success in this uh, social economic system, okay? Mm-hmm. And non-achievers live by a value system which generally does not lead to success in the social economic system. And so uh, now this has nothing to do with uh, character. You know what I'm saying? You, mm-hmm. you know, and it has nothing to do with wealth. I mean, I can be an achiever and not be uh, wealthy. Like for example, uh, uh, let's say on on TV there was this very popular show called Everybody Hates Chris. Remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they lived in Brooklyn. They, uh, you know, they were just scraping by, but everybody was an achiever because everybody lived up by those values. So just because you're an achiever doesn't mean you're wealthy. And just because you're a non-achiever doesn't mean you're not wealthy, you know what I mean? But um, but this has nothing to do with character. It has something to do with the value system you live by. And so what is happening is that there is, I know, within the African-American community, a, what I would call a, a cold civil war between the achievers and the non-achievers. And so, so there is that cultural clash. Um, one of the things I cite in this blog I'm going to publish uh, is the uh, the uh, the Freddie Gray case in uh, Baltimore? Now, if you remember, uh, six police had this had Freddie Gray in this van, and they drove him around, and you know they didn't take him to the hospital. He was injured, and when they finally got him somewhere, he was dead. Mm-hmm. And everybody said it was because of racism. Well, I wonder. I say, well, okay. Uh, how can you say it's racism when three of the six cops involved were black? Unless you would say that, you know, these these black cops were racist against African-Americans or something like that, which is kind of absurd when you think about it. But there was something going on. And I think it was more or less this cultural class that I talk about. Uh, the achievers, the achievers and non-achievers, there are whites and there are blacks, there are Latinos, there are Asians. You know, every every group every people group within the developed world has these two groups within them does that make sense that makes total sense carl right mm-hmm. and and they they don't like each other and every now and then this cold civil war flares up into open conflict so when you see some of the things that happen in uh, minneapolis and around the country well you got the anarchists coming in hijacking the demonstrations uh, they are the ones who arrange for the, uh, you know, mostly for the most part, they arrange for the initial breaking of the windows, the initial throwing of the incendiary devices. And they they understood the situation well enough to know that once that starts, the criminal element will come in and, 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 and take it from there. And then after that, the opportunists come, you know. And so the whole moral uh, character of the of the cause gets lost in the sauce. And because these anarchists don't care about the cause, nor do the criminals, you know what I'm saying? And the, and the opportunists, maybe they might have cared about the cause, but then they see, well, you know, it's a difference between supporting the cause and getting a, a flat panel 46-inch TV, mm-hmm. you know, just by walking through a window. Right. And, you know, and then that kind of thing happens. It's human nature, you know, human nature. And so... Uh, one of the things that I think we should do that, you know, is yes, we have problems, but I think we need to be aware of the fact that uh, there is uh, there are a group of people who who mean us great harm, who are uh, taking advantage, who are exploiting that. Uh, it, it, it's the same. It's the same kind of thing that happens time after time after time after time. 
like, for example, um, in Cuba, uh, Batista was a terrible leader. He was corrupt. He was oppressive and all that. They overthrew him, and they brought in Castro, thinking that he would be better, but he turned out to be worse, you know. Uh, I, I can cite revolution after revolution after revolution where this has happened. Because people unite in terms of what they don't want to see, but then the result tend, tends to be tends you know comes out even worse. But what's happening in this case is that the anarchist, you know, this is a this is an ideology. It's a very dangerous ideology, and uh, I don't think they're going to topple the government or anything like that. But they are certainly trying to do what they can to do to, to to first of all get rid of all authority, and of course their prime directive, their their prime uh, targets are police. And if they can get us to hate the police for them and to start shooting them down and all the rest of it, we're doing their job for them. I think it's, um, I think it would be wise for us to recognize that though we have problems between us, we even have a bigger problem with the anarchists. Hmm. I think, um, I, I, you know, before World War uh, II, uh, we looked at the Soviet Union with great suspicion and we hated the ideology that they, they, that they lived by, right? And we and we consider them an enemy, but then Hitler rises up and he starts conquering everybody, and the Soviets jumped in on the, on our side, and we welcomed them as allies. Now, you know, it was be- it was better to have the Soviets as allies, even though we hated what they stood for, uh, to defeat Hitler, than to not do that and be defeated by Hitler. You know what I'm saying? Because if we had been defeated by Hitler, I wouldn't be talking to you today. That's Does so that true. That's total, yeah, yeah. total sense. Uh, Carl, let me take a very short break. We'll be back with uh, Dr. Carl Ellis, uh, Provo Professor of Theology and Culture um, at RTS. We'll be right back. back. I'm with Dr. Carl Ellis, and he is a Provo Professor of Theology and Culture at Reformed Theological Seminary, Senior Fellow of the African American Leadership Initiative. And I was looking at uh, something, a letter from the Birmingham jail when Dr. King expressed um, his disappointment towards uh, white ministers who privately assured him that they were on his side and cheering for his cause while at the same time refusing to go public with their support. Uh, Carl, do you think there's a moral clarity um, on this subject right now? On this subject, meaning the subject of uh, racism and all? Yes. Um, It is clearly a moral wrong, but the way... The way... (laughs) The way it is being handled in in some circles tends to cloud the moral clarity, all right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, there's this mentality out here. You know, remember during the Reformation, uh, a great great slogan of the Reformation was sola scriptura? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So what is happening today is like racism is a serious problem and, and it, it requires us to really, really fight it, fight it. But the problems we face today are also also have other components, but people get into what I would call solar racism. <laughs> that it's all just racism and yes racism is a is a problem but if we if we focus on that if we yes it needs to be focused on but at the same time it's a little more complicated than that so we we've got to have um uh we have we have to have a multifaceted approach um, so yes, I mean, absolutely. I hate racism. I mean, you know, I, I've, I, I know it firsthand. I, I've seen it. Uh, but, but I recognize too, that racism isn't in, a, in isolation. It is derived from our, from our depravity, which itself is derived from our attempt to, uh, replace God as the ultimate judge of everything. That's, that's what happened in the garden when, you know that, that like the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not the tree of the information of good and evil, because Adam and woman already knew what good and evil were based on the word of God. So it wasn't a matter of them not having the information. The issue was who's going to decide, who's going to determine, who's going to de- define what good and evil are. Are we going to determine good and evil by the word of God, or are we going to determine, determine good and evil by our own opinions? And so when they sinned against God, they decided that they were going to be the final judge of good and evil and the final judge of everything. Mm-hmm. And so from that comes uh, other issues, which I call, like, it comes from creatures. And you judge everything, including the creator himself, by the standard of the creature. And then from that, you begin to judge others by the standard of yourself. That's meism. You judge other races by the standard of your race. That's racism. Because you see, if you ju- if you use yourself as a, as a standard of judgment, then everything else is inferior by definition. Because nobody else can be you as well as you can be you. Mm-hmm. So there's no other race can, can be your race as well as your race can. So right. what happens is that every other race, every other culture, if you if you use your culture as a standard of judgment for all other cultures, every other culture is inferior, and all the rest of that. And so that's. So racism is a manifestation of that deeper problem. And so, yes, we need to focus on racism. Yes, we need to deal with racism, but we have to recognize that if you were to eradicate racism today, we would still have the problems. We would still have other problems. It's not to say that we shouldn't try to eradicate racism, but actually we really can't because you can't eradicate sin. Only God can do that. Mm-hmm. But we, as the people of God, need to live lives and protest against that. So the world may go to pot, the world may be racist, the world may be classist, the world may be whatever, but within the body of Christ, though, we must not uh, have, we must not relate to each other that way. So Mm -hmm. we, uh, you know, that's what the Bible is telling us to do. Yeah. Carl, I want to go back to something you said earlier about achievers versus non-achievers, and is at the core of that envy? Well, to some extent, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. what what happened was that when the uh, when when the doors of opportunity opened because of the, the great gains in civil rights, okay, the achievers are the ones who had the legs and the feet to walk through those doors, and the quality of their lives improved dramatically. But the non-achievers did not have those those skills. They 
the non-achievers have not seen the benefits of the great gains in civil rights. So when you when you go to the hood and you talk to a non-achiever, let's say, you say, "Yeah, but this is gonna this is gonna push back the cause." They don't care because they they haven't seen any uh, any benefit from it. And, you know, hey, there's a store window that's broken. I can go get me a TV. I yeah, certainly I understand that. If I was in their in their shoes, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, so. Yeah, there is a kind of a there was a kind of a resentment, I guess, that a lot of non-achievers have towards achievers, and of course, achievers uh, have a tendency to, in some ways, to despise non-achievers. And of course, this goes all the way back. I can give you some history that goes all the way back. This was a culture class that goes way back. And like I said, every ethnic group has these. Uh, but uh, so. Um, so there is that there is that tension going on, and there was a time when, uh, you know, let's face it, we all of us have sinned, all of sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There there were times when some achievers uh, looked down on non-achievers, you know, as if they were inferior some kind of way. And of course, there were the times when non-achievers looked down on achievers. Now there are a few, let's say, within the African American community, there are a few. Uh, folks who who are kind of uh, how how can I put them? They're kind of bourgeois elitist. They 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 they're, they're kind of upper class wannabes. Although they're not upper class, they just they they kind of see themselves that way, and they look down on everybody else. And the achievers don't like them either, but the non-achievers see the achievers as that. Does that make sense? It so, does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of it's just like white folks don't we would do anything to keep from be called, being called a racist, right? Right. So a lot of achievers will do anything to keep from be, for, uh, to keep from being called a bourgeois elitist. <laughs> 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 so yeah, so that you know they're, they're, those are those kind of dynamics. And so what happens is that there is a reluctance to recognize that some of the problems. Uh, Again, I am not diminishing the, the the effects of racism, systemic racism, whatever. I'm not I'm not minimizing that at all. But there are some other things that come into play. There is a reluctance to discuss to this to discuss these internal issues um, because we don't want to let people off the hook in terms of being able to say, oh well, I don't have to worry about racism anymore. And so, but there is there are these internal dynamics that are going on. And uh, and so a lot of times you will find achievers uh, embracing non-achievers in public, although they may not do it in private. Mm-hmm. Carl, we just have uh, two and a half minutes left. I'm curious, when you and your amazing wife, Karen, sit on the couch and watch the news, what are you saying to each other? We do a lot of head shaking at each other. <laughs> There's so much foolishness going on. Okay. You know, you know, in a very real sense, you know, we, we're really starving of news. All we're getting is propaganda. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, CNN is bent to the left, MSNBC, Fox is bent to the right. It's it's just it just gets tiring sometimes when you try to sift that stuff out. Um, I <laughs> I have at times found. Uh, Russia today to be a better source of news, uh, although I'm not a Russian sympathizer. But uh, but yeah, I you know I I just find that that uh, it just gets a little tiring uh, when I want you know to have to to as we will say to eat the fish and spit out the bones. I, I just you know it's a lot of bones. I get choked on some of the bones sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we see what's going on. Well, we recognize that there's, there are deeper problems. And the other thing too, that a lot of Christians have forgotten about is the power of prayer. It's, it, it is, it is the most powerful weapon we've got. And, uh, as a matter of fact, as all these things are going on, everybody's calling us and, we 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 have we we we've had several prayer meetings at our own house uh where people just come by and pray and we discuss these things and so yeah i i would say that um yeah when we look at the when we look at the news we we uh we see what's happening and we're not surprised you know yeah at the same time we we recognize that there's a time coming when we who follow Christ are going to be under a whole lot of hostility mm-hmm. and uh and to to that I say, you know, let you know, bring it on. You yeah. know, uh, let us just throw for what they may. Yeah. You know? Carl, we're out of time, but if I send my listeners uh, to see your blog, would it be at ellisperspectives.com? dot uh, com? I think there's a link to it there, but the the name of the blog is Prophets of Culture. If you would just uh, Google that, uh, Prophets of Culture, awesome. you should see it. I think the latest blog up there right now is called Seven Points of Clarification. I, I put that up there because a whole lot of people thought I was a Marxist. Awesome. And I had to show that I wasn't. All right. But, uh, but this one that's coming, there's one coming up tonight. I think will be published tonight about uh, about these these, these current events. Carl, I'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. My pleasure. Yep. That wraps My up pleasure. our show. Have a good night, everyone. I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.